Do you think part of the problem, Mike, when it comes to processing something of this magnitude is that many of us, whether consciously or not, have bought into many of the assumptions of the prosperity gospel? You know, so if God really loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives, then why did I lose my job and why is my father on a ventilator? Yeah, absolutely. We're all basically televangelists. We're all basically saying, hey, look, if you have enough faith, then things will go well. And if things are going poorly in your life, you don't have enough faith. Hey, Mike Horton here. If you're new to the White Horse Inn and want to know what you believe and why you believe it, be sure to visit our website in order to sign up for a free membership. When you sign up at whitehorseinn.org, you'll get free access to the 12 most recent extended-length episodes, along with discussion questions for each program and terms to learn. And you can get your free membership just by signing up at whitehorseinn.org forward slash member. That's whitehorseinn.org slash member. Five centuries ago, in taverns and public houses across Europe, the masses would gather for discussion and debate over the latest ideas sweeping the land. From one such meeting place, a small Cambridge inn called the White Horse, the Reformation came to the English-speaking world. Carrying on the tradition, welcome to the White Horse Inn. Hey there, and welcome to another edition of the White Horse Inn. I'm Shane Rosenthal. And on the line with me for today's program is a voice you're no doubt familiar with. Dr. Michael Horton is professor of theology and apologetics at Westminster Seminary, California, and co-host of Core Christianity and author of well over 3,000 books, including Christless Christianity, A Place for Weakness, and The Gospel-Driven Life. Wait, Mike, wait, wait, how's wait, it going? Wait, wait, you said 3,000 books? Did I get the number wrong? <laughs> yeah, I think you did. It's not 3,000. I'm pretty sure it's something over 3,000 books. Uh, I'm pretty sure it, it can't be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, well, we'll check the numbers. I'll check Wikipedia, and then I'll get back to you. Yeah, a couple zeros off, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> How are you and your family doing? We're doing fine. Thanks for asking. It's Everyone healthy? Yeah, and it's, by the way, great to be back on the White Horse, and I miss it so yeah. much. Um, we miss you. you know, you're doing such a fine job. Oh, thanks. Why? Why? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. We, <laughs> we're doing fine. We're like everybody else in the country who is healthy. We're praising the Lord for his goodness to us and praying for those who are who are not doing well. Do you have any friends or members of your extended family who have been affected by the coronavirus? Not that we know of. You know, part of the problem is you, you sort of wonder because, you know, if people are affected by it, it's not like they're sending out Christmas cards telling people. So we're just sort of waiting to see how this thing plays out over the next uh, several weeks. Yeah, we have a friend of the family, the brother of a really close friend who's apparently uh, – he caught the virus at Sam's Club, and uh, then he and his whole family got sick. He's on a ventilator. The wife has pneumonia. Um, and one of the guys we've had on the show, Fikrit Bocek, yeah. a convert from Islam who is a pastor of a church in Izmir, Turkey, he and his wife both came down with it, and they had to be hospitalized for a time. So it's a pretty serious bug, and it's affecting a lot of people. No, it really is, and, and, and the people – who aren't being physically affected by it are really being rattled. You know, yeah. I, I know a lot of people who are really anxious about this and wondering why it's here and, and what's going to happen and who's going to fix it. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, the media likes to turn us against each other at a time like this. Right. The wiser, saner voices out there are saying, hey, look, we're, we're all in this together. 
let's do what we can. And I think, as I know you do, this is a time when we really need to, as Christians, raise our eyes toward heaven and use this as a wonderful opportunity for us to recalibrate. Some of our listeners, Mike, might hear in your voice uh, a little frog or something, um, and this is not related to COVID, right? This is just a yeah. normal run-of-the-mill bug, right? Yeah, I have, <laughs> I, have, I have asthma, and so every year I get a cold that turns into pneumonia. I'm on my last day of it being kicked out, so that's what you're hearing. It's nothing worse than that. So, Mike, how do you think we should answer people who ask, why is God allowing all this to happen? Yeah, well, I think we have to say, first of all, we don't know why. God is allowing this. Uh, We certainly know that God is working all things together for good, and that means coronavirus. And that's not to say that the coronavirus is good. No. It's just that he's working all things for good. Yeah, I think it's really important to say that because, uh, yeah, he doesn't say, hey, everything comes from God's hand and therefore it's good. It says that God works all things together for the good of his people and for his glory. So I think we can't say, well, I know why this person got coronavirus and this person didn't, or I know why coronavirus is here. What we can say is we do know that God only does what is wise, only does what is good. He only allows evils in the world that he has already predestined how he will overcome. It's like the tapestry where you look at the back of a tapestry and it's just tangled threads, but you turn it over and you see a beautiful design. All we see are the tangled threads. Unless it's modern we, art, in which case, you know, <laughs> either side, it's just tangled. Yeah, just a, a, <laughs> let's uh, a Jackson Pollock uh, right, right, yeah. tapestry. <laughs> but yeah, I just think that what an arrogant thing it would be for me to think that because I just see tangled strings, there isn't a design. That would just be the height of arrogance to measure God by my wits. This is beyond us. Let's say that. It's okay for Christians to say, I don't know. But I do know that God is good and wise and sovereign, and he wouldn't have permitted this if he hadn't already figured out how much good he's going to bring about through it. Doesn't mean it's good, but it does mean that there's someone above it all who is working it together for the good of his people. In my own case, our family, we're spending more time together, not just driving around from here to there, doing this, that, and the other thing. It's a lot less chaotic. We're actually enjoying stretches of time just hanging out laughing together. Um, I look, that, then I think your friend you were talking about being intubated yeah. and say, okay, well, what about that brother? Yeah, I know. I don't know how God is working that together for good in his life and the life of his family and people around him. I don't know, but I do know that he's working it together for good. And you know how ultimately we know that God works all things together for good because of Calvary and the resurrection. Yeah. We know there at that moment, the powers and, and rulers thought this is the end of Jesus, that troublemaker, yet Right there, he was fulfilling his promise to crush the serpent's head on the cross. Even though they, with wicked hands, had crucified the Lord of glory. That's right. That's right. And immediately after that, you have, you with your wicked hands crucify the Lord of glory, but he was offered up according to the predestined plan of God. So that's God's in control. (laughs) God's in control. Ultimately, it wasn't in human hands 
what would happen to Jesus? God so loved the world he sent, he gave his only begotten son. Yeah, and he says, no one takes my life from me. No, I, I willingly give it up for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. I don't know what the good outcome of all of this is right now, but I do know there and then when I would have been joining Pilate and all of Caesar's agents and the, the Jewish leaders, I would have been joining them in thinking that, well, this episode is over. Jesus lost. The Roman Empire is in charge or the Sanhedrin is in charge. That's what it would have looked like. Yeah. I mean, obviously, here he is hanging on a cross, a cursed cross. And yet at that very moment, God was triumphant. How do we know? Well, because he was raised on the third day. So I think that this is a time when we need to really reflect on the fact that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, not necessarily having to figure out how. You know, in the past, we've heard voices claiming that a certain cataclysm, earthquake, a flood. I remember being at CBA back in 1993 when Randall Terry argued that the Mississippi flooding was related to the fact that America had for so many years allowed abortion. So that's a one-to-one -one correspondence. He knew God's mind why this particular issue you know, of the flooding of the Mississippi River was tied to our abortion policy. Yeah. Uh, so that sort of thing becomes harder to do when it comes to a global pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you got to be really careful if you're putting yourself in the category of the righteous person who is sure that God is punishing somebody for a particular sin. You're basically putting yourself in the position of the religious leaders in John 9. Who sinned, this man or his parents, the disciples asked, yeah. that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't his sin, and it wasn't his parents' sin. Then what's the reason? Jesus says, but for the glory of God in this moment, me performing this miracle as a sign to who I am. So on one hand, Jesus there isn't saying, yeah, well, you know, bad stuff happens to good people. Or he didn't shrug and say, you know, sometimes God just isn't really in charge. Um, he'd like to be able to fix everything in the world, but, you know, he's— But his arm is too short. His arm is too <laughs> short. He didn't say anything like that. He said that there was a purpose. He said that there was a plan. This man was born blind for this very moment of glorifying the incarnate God. And Jesus doesn't tell us why this person suffers or that person suffers. Look, he, yeah. Jesus says he sends the rain upon the just and the unjust alike. In Matthew 5, he says, Christians should not expect to be exempt from the common curse of the fall. Right. And they shouldn't expect non-Christians to be exempt from the common grace of a God who created and loves all that he has made. So we ought to take a step back and say, I don't think I want to be in that situation where I'm pharisaically judging other people. You know, I mean, this is the logic of works righteousness at the end of the day. You know, Rome can say this sin is worth this number of Hail Marys, or if you commit that sin, that's this many years in purgatory. And we say, oh, isn't that terrible? That's such a denial of the gospel. 
And then we go around assigning diseases to people for sins right. that they've committed. That's a great point. On the other hand, Shane, I, I would say at the same time, it's saying all of that, the Lord does send pestilences to draw people's attention away from fastening their worship on idols. Hmm. He does. He, he does throughout history. He gets our attention. Um, yeah, if you read the history books, it's actually rather common. <laughs> it is rather common. And and it's interesting how Christians responded in you know more pious eras. Christians would gather together for prayer and fasting when there were diseases. I think we can say, let's use this as a time of penitence to acknowledge our manifold sins and wickedness, to realize individually, corporately as a church, and even as a nation— how we have turned our back on God. And I don't mean, you know, the Democrats have. I mean, the Republicans have, too. We all have. All of us in this country have increasingly found God a burden. And let's reflect on that. Let's use this as an opportunity for us to raise our eyes to heaven and say, this world is not all there is. This is the fleeting moment. Lord, teach us to number our days. Hey there, Shane Rosenthal here. For 30 years, our focus at Whitehorse Inn has been to help Christians know what they believe and why they believe it. And throughout this year, I'd love to hear from you if you have any apologetics-related questions or suggestions for future topics. To submit a question, simply head to whitehorseinn.org slash askshane. Your question may be featured in a future program or blog post. Once again, the address is whitehorseinn.org slash askshane. Welcome back to the White Horse Inn as I'm talking with Michael Horton about many of the assumptions of the prosperity gospel, particularly in light of the coronavirus pandemic. How would you respond to those who use uh, passages like Second Chronicles at this moment? If my people humble themselves at a time like this and pray and turn from their ways, he will heal their land. What do you think about applying that text to the present situation? Yeah, it's um, not connected at all to the new covenant. It's, you know, my people who are called by my name. It's the nation of Israel. Well, America isn't called by God's name. It isn't God's nation. And so, you know, I don't think that we should try to get the nation together to redouble its efforts to become the Israel of God. I think that the church should be on its knees and pray that the Lord would heal the church. That is what we should pray for most earnestly. And that the Lord would bring in people from every tribe and kindred and tongue, people and nation. You know, look at all of the people around us now in America. What is America? America is the world. The world lives here. God has brought the nations to our neighborhood. And it's a wonderful time for us to reach out to them, you know, when we can leave our houses, to reach out to our neighbors and have them over and invite them to church in other words, let's use this as an opportunity not to follow the media and hate each other and turn on each other and point fingers and say, well, this is why you know, God has sent this plague on this group or that group or this nation for that reason or this reason. Rather, use it as an opportunity to say, look, I am a man of 
unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. You know, Mike, I'd like to read you a passage from chapter 13 of Luke's gospel and then have you comment on it. In verse 1 of Luke 13, we're told that there were some who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus turned to them and answered, saying, Do you think that these Galileans were any worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in that way? No, I tell you, because unless you repent, you will all likewise <laughs> perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and <laughs> killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Right. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Mm -hmm. So, Mike, what do you think we can learn about the providence of God from a text like that? Well, first of all, what, we can learn a lot about the human heart, can't we? Hmm. The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. Now, before we dismiss that, I mean, don't you think Adam had a point? <laughs> Yeah, it's always the woman you gave me. Uh, just just practically speaking, for marriage counseling. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And I'm going to edit this part out so Heidi will never hear that. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're just always pointing fingers. This woman you gave me, um, well, the devil made me do it. And we love to demonize other people. This is called scapegoating, where we've lost our jobs, and so we're going to blame this group or that group. Um it's because of this group that there is this disease spreading around the world, or there's always the other we can project our own sin onto. And then, yeah, we, those 18 people upon whom the tower fell. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's karma. They had it coming to them. Exactly. It is karma. It's the logic of works righteousness. And Jesus just shuts that down, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely. He's it. No, you know what? It's about you. You need to repent. <laughs> yeah. uh, and until I realize that I am one on whom the tower should have fallen. My karma should have brought that tower down on me, but yeah. instead it came down on my Savior. And that is true for these people that I'm scapegoating over here. How many of them are going to be brought to Christ in unknown days in the future? Some of those very people I'm calling fire down upon, like James and John, the sons of thunder, mm -hmm that Jesus rebuked for doing that, those people I'm calling fire down on, they might be elect people of God for whom Christ died, and they're going to be worshiping beside me next Sunday. I don't know. There's no reason I shouldn't assume that. So these might be my future brothers and sisters, and who am I to do anything other than join the tax collector and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner? Yeah, I was reading an article this morning about someone who uh, caught the virus on a cruise ship and then ended up on a ventilator. And the conclusion of the person writing the article was something to the effect of no one should have to go through this. But what you said just a bit ago, that we all actually, in Adam, we deserve the tower to fall on us. We all deserve yeah. death. In fact, one out of every one person will die uh, because mm -hmm. sin and death are amazingly united. Yeah, it's the human you know, experience. Th there are people across the county I live in, the state, the nation, people around the world right now who are in hospital dying of cancer, yeah. who are in hospitals by themselves, lonely, alone. And there are people who are dying on the freeways. As you just say, Shane, it's 100% chance that you and I are going to die, that everybody listening right now is going to die. That's 100%. Barring Christ coming before too long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to, to do modeling and try to figure out how many people are going to die. Everybody's going to die. 
the question is, are we going to die in Christ or in Adam? Do you think at least part of the problem, Mike, when it comes to processing something of this magnitude is that many of us, whether consciously or not, have bought into many of the assumptions of the prosperity gospel? You know, so if God really loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives, then why did I lose my job and why is my father on a ventilator? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's so true. And this is where our hearts go, because it just reminds us of the fact that we are always law creatures. We are bent, our hearts are turned in on ourselves, and we're naturally bent towards the law. The law is in us by nature. If we didn't have a Bible, we would know right from wrong. It's just, it's how God made us. He made us as moral creatures. The gospel is a surprise announcement. And so that's not in us anywhere by nature. It has to keep being announced in order for us to keep believing it. It's so strange. Yeah. It's so foreign to us. And so, yeah, absolutely. We're all basically televangelists uh, in our inner self. We're all basically saying, hey, look, if you have enough faith or you you know, send me a little coin, then things will go well. And if things are going poorly in your life, you don't have enough faith. You're not following the instructions that I've laid out for you. Four easy things to do, and it usually includes the check. No, there is a kind of soft prosperity gospel, even in more conservative biblical contexts. You could have people who are well-taught, who are in good churches, who when something happens, some catastrophe happens, will say, why me? Right. Well, why not you? <laughs> you know, why not all of us? Really, the, the question is not, why do things like coronavirus happen? The real question is, why don't things like coronavirus always happen? Yeah. And why isn't it not just coronavirus? Why isn't it that we haven't destroyed each other in a nuclear holocaust? But for the common grace of God, but for his hand, coronavirus would be a normal day. Yeah, I like your comment that uh, the gospel is a surprise announcement that sort of breaks through the assumptions that if I step on a crack, I'll break my mother's back. If I do this, I'll mm -hmm. get that. My mind races to the parable of the wedding banquet, where Jesus says, you know, go out to the streets and find anyone you can, whether good or bad. That's a different message, isn't it? Whether good or bad, humanly speaking. Uh -huh. This gospel of the wedding announcement, free banquet, free wedding clothes, it's all it's for good and bad people. That's right. Here's the package. It's got your wedding clothes in it and everything. Yeah. Just go put it on and show up for the meal. I think, too, of John the Baptist saying, that you know, the prostitutes are going in before you. Hmm. This is a strange community that we call the church. And in Jesus' day, it was. This is what really upset the religious leaders. They say, you eat and drink with publicans and sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. It's so full of rascals. Then we begin to realize, actually, we are the publican. We are the thief. We are the prostitute. We are the, we are the sinner. And the good news here is that those are the people he likes to have dinner with. Yeah. So, Mike, in some of your books, you've actually gone so far as to call the prosperity gospel a heresy. Why do you make that claim? Well, heresis, as you know, means to go your own way, sort of do your own thing. It's really to depart from the common 
faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And it ought not to be used lightly. Heresy means that you are actually severed from Christ, that you don't believe in Christ. Doctrine, I liken to the lights on a runway at night. You need those lights so that you can land on the runway and uh, not in an office building. Doctrine is not the landing strip. Where we want to land our faith, our trust, where we want to rest our hope is not in the landing lights, but on the tarmac. Doctrine guides us to Christ. We don't place our faith in doctrines. We place our faith in Christ, but it's the doctrines that point us to Christ. Now, if your doctrine is really off, your lights are all mixed up and it looks like Christmas out there, then you're, you're going to land all over the place. You're going to crash. And that's exactly what heresy does. If the symmetry is so off that there aren't clear lines, then you're going to miss the runway. And that's what we're saying about heresy. It's, it's that bad. And I think that the prosperity gospel is a heresy on so many different levels. It's a heretical view of God, a heretical view of humanity, of creation and the fall. It's a heretical view of Christ. They have a mishmash of mind science cult teachings with a swirl of Pentecostal teachings and practices, and it is a mess. It's landing lights all over the town. And you will crash if you follow this. The question isn't whether they believe in Jesus. It's, it's what do they believe about Jesus? and What Jesus do they believe in? Yeah, right. You know, you can't just say, well, you know, they, they believe in Jesus. Who, who's Jesus? Mormons believe in Jesus. Yeah, Mormons say they believe in Jesus. So the question is, is it enough that you say you believe in Jesus, even if that Jesus is not the Jesus who is proclaimed in Scripture? The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthians, if you hear another Jesus preached and another spirit than the Holy Spirit, you follow that gladly enough. In other words, as long as we're using the right names, no, it's got to be the right people we're talking about here. Well, folks, we're out of time for this edition of the White Horse Inn, but you can hear more of my conversation with Michael Horton at whitehorseinn.org. Here's a sneak peek from the extended discussion. The great church father, Augustine, distinguished between the city of God and the city of man along these terms. He says, one of the major differences between these two cities is in the city of God, God is enjoyed and things are used. Hmm. In the city of man, things are enjoyed and God is used. Wow. Folks, when you support the work of the White Horse Inn by signing up as a monthly partner, You'll get longer editions of every White Horse Inn broadcast and access to our 30-year archive. Right now, if you sign up for a free trial, you'll get a one-week all-access pass to our archive. Just head over to whitehorseinn.org slash member. That's whitehorseinn.org forward slash member. Also, if you have any suggestions for future programs or questions you'd like us to tackle, just look for the Ask Shane section at the bottom left of our website, whitehorseinn.org. Thanks for being with us for this edition of The White Horse Inn, and be sure to join us next time as I talk with John Lennox about his brand new book, Where is God in a Coronavirus World?